From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. The nation's focus is once again on policing, as the closing arguments in the Derek Chauvin murder trial begin this week. Chauvin is the officer accused of killing George Floyd in Minnesota. Closer to home, a man shot a police officer during a traffic stop in Burleson last week before carrying out a deadly carjacking. That incident was at least the fourth shooting involving a Texas law enforcement officer in recent weeks, including the deadly shooting of a state trooper near Mejia in March. To discuss, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers are joined this week by State Representative Carl Sherman, a Democrat from DeSoto, and Frederick Frazier, the chairman of the Dallas Police Association's Political Action Committee. Later, they'll talk to NBC5 reporter Scott Gordon about the race to replace Fort Worth Mayor Betsy Price and president of the Dallas County Medical Society, Dr. Beth Kasanoff-Piper. State Rep. Carl Sherman, a Democrat from DeSoto, is one of the authors of House Bill 929, otherwise known as Bo's Law, a police and criminal justice reform bill named for Botham Jean, a black man fatally shot inside his own home by an off-duty Dallas police officer. The law would address police body and dash cam recordings, as well as the state's castle doctrine. Frederick Frazier is the chairman of the Dallas Police Officers Political Action Committee and a 20-year veteran of the Dallas Police Department. The PAC serves as the political arm of the Dallas Police Association. Here are Sherman and Frazier in a joint interview with Julian Gromer. Representative Sherman, let's start with you. You've authored Bo's Law. Tell us about the law and why you think it's necessary. Well, thank you for having us here today, and I want to thank uh, Detective Frazier for being here. Bo's Law, just like many of the bills that have been filed this session, almost 300 police reform bills have been filed. Bo's Law is to address, uh, really simply put, ensuring that people are safe at home and that we establish systemic accountability within policing. And that's uh, really the gist of this legislation. Detective Frazier, your reaction to the law? Well, it's, it's a difficult law uh, because we had we a tragic situation that happened here by an accident. And, uh, and, it's, and, and Bo's Law, for what this bill does, doesn't, doesn't do much for what happened to Botham Jean. And, and so what we would like to see is, is, uh, is obviously, that we always work these things out. Uh, they're, they're always, it's a longer process than most would like, but we, we still have to have the constitutional protection for the officers uh, and, and not give up their rights when, uh, when they're being accused of a crime. Uh, and you, know, and, and, uh, you have to remember, every time an officer's in a situation that uh, causes him to pull that trigger, he is now being accused of a crime, he or she, uh, I've been in multiple shootings throughout my career. I understand how the, the, the dynamics of it. I understand what takes place. And I also know the mental stress that goes not only for the officer, the victim, the, the surrounding community, but everybody is affected by that incident. And so we have to be very careful on, we already have laws in the books that, that address this. Uh, we have, you know, tampering with an evidence. We have uh, obstruction. We have, we have laws that, that sit there and, and already fix this issue, but I do understand why we, we have this bill, and I do understand why the author has brought it forward. You know, let me, let me go, go back to, to uh, Representative Sherman. Just for our viewers, because we're, we're talking about the bill, what's the most important piece of the bill you think, Representative, that will deal uh, with the problem uh, or, or what happened with the tragic death of Baltimore John, and, and 
because the viewers need to know what you guys are talking about here. Yeah, well, and, and Gromer, I think that the important thing that we have to understand that after these incidents, often the response is, it was an accident, it was an accident. And unfortunately, uh, these accidents, by and large, involve uh, African-American or people of color being killed by police. This is eroding the trust within policing. And so Bo's Law goes to the heart of something that happened during uh, this incident, during this uh, killing of a young man, a 26-year-old, eating ice cream in his own apartment. Uh, what happened uh, after his uh, murder was the officer was instructed uh, to turn off the body cam and to turn off the in-car uh, dash or the in-car uh, cam. And as a former city manager, I understand uh, the stress level that our police uh, officers go through as a father of a police officer. I understand uh, quite well the stress and the decisions they have to make. But we have to be intentional about ensuring uh, that we create an environment of trust and transparency so that no officer uh, feels that they can edit or redact uh, what's happening uh, on the scene. You see, those body cams belong to the citizens. They pay for those body cams. And as a mayor or a former mayor of a city that became the first city in the nation to have body cams for our police officers in 2011, 2012, 2011, 2012, it was important uh, for transparency and it served as a behavior modification tool. Okay. So this is about ensuring uh, that we have established systemic accountability by being transparent with what's going on. Uh, and uh, we can't afford to lose any more trust on George Floyd's case, as you mentioned, and several others that are happening, it seems, daily, but they all have something in common whether it's a Tatiana Jefferson or Brianna right. Taylor, there is an there. Those in, the individuals are African American. All right, all right Representative uh, uh, Detective Frazier. In responding to that, I also want to ask you this: Is there any? And the representative uh, alluded to this. There are a number of police reform bills in the legislature this session. Any of the legislation related to police reform? Are you supportive of any of that? Any oh, absolutely. Point. And if you uh, were supportive of, of many of the, uh, the the issues that are happening in, in police reform, uh, but you have to be careful because <clears throat> I need to go back to the, the Bose law real quick. The the officer was off duty, uh, off duty. Uh, and that, that's, that's, that's a different situation with a body cam. She doesn't have one on. Uh, she didn't have one. Uh, she went to go sit in a car where it's there's nothing abnormal. This part of the investigation. Have her speak with her attorney figure at that time. Then the, the request for the camera to be turned off, it, that's between attorney-client privilege. Everyone knows that. Uh, every citizen has the same right. You could say, I am not going to be videotaped and I'm not going to have this part of my conversation videotaped during the investigation. That is your constitutional right. Uh, officers have the same constitutional right. The, this Bo's Law wasn't Bo's Law before this. It was another bill that was a, a, a let's just say, a concept bill in the, in the 86th uh, legislation, uh, uh, and it never got anywhere. It never got any traction. It didn't only got traction when what happened to Boston Gene. Uh, when we wrote the, the, the body camera bill, 
I'm one of the components of it. I'm one of the stakeholders. I never missed a meeting. I, I sat there with Mothers Against Police Brutality. I sat there with Senator West, uh, who was the author of that bill. Uh, and I sat with every single one of those meetings to make this bill work for body cameras throughout the state of Texas. And this is what happened with that bill. We became the number one bill in America for every other police department and every other state to follow. The template was there. But then we have activists that come out and said, you know what? We don't like certain components of the bill after the fact. And the one component they really didn't want, it was that the officer is allowed to be, review his body camera before he makes a statement. And that is in this bill. The reason why we put that in the bill is because if you get into a shooting, you have this traumatic incident that happened, not only to All you, right, but to the community and everyone else. You need to review that before you make that statement. All right, we, not, we want to make sure we get to other subjects here. Mr. Frazier, tomorrow begins closing arguments in the Derek Chauvin trial, accused of killing George Floyd. Do you think this trial and other police-involved shooting, shootings will impact the way that officers are trained? Oh, 100%. I was working on this on the President's Commission as a commissioner, uh, and I was really hoping we were going to get further down the road with it. Uh, I also worked with the Obama administration on the 21st with uh, policing. Uh, policing has to make a change. We cannot sit here and say everything is fine. We have to go and say, okay, we have to uniform policing, standardize it throughout the country. Uh, hopefully this year and, and the, through this legislative body, we will get this done in, eight, in the, the 87th. And we'll show a reform bill that comes out of it that unilaterally that shows uh, a standardized policing in America to where you don't have a chokehold here and you have one here. The department in Dallas has not had a chokehold over 20 plus years. Houston the same. That doesn't mean that everyone else is under that same guideline. Just like in Minneapolis, you saw a tragic situation by a by by an individual that should never have been using that technique. And then what happened? It sparked the entire country and parts of the world on fire because of that situation. We want to get to the representative here. Representative Sherman, your reaction, a lot of us have seen that trial to how it is unfolding. Yeah, it's, uh, it is a tragedy. And, and, and we, we cannot ignore that this is not an aberration. Uh, you know, Black America has been saying this for many years. The only difference is we've got video now. Uh, to be able to show the nine minutes and 29 seconds of George Floyd's life being taken by this officer. So I think it's important uh, that we understand uh, that this is really an emergency item that we must address in police reform. Most police officers are good, and uh, we need to make the environment and create a trust factor there that demonstrates that we're willing to get rid of the bad officers. The most powerful union there is in the United States is a police union. And we've got to ensure that they're willing to fight for the good officers and stop fighting for the bad officers. Uh, so this is about transparency. And George Floyd's case, we're, uh, Lord's will, we will learn to do some things differently. Uh, but going back to the body cams, we did that in 2011, 2012, and Senator West used our city as the model for his legislation that Detective Frazier is referring to in 2015. But the police association pushed back on uh, having the officers have the power to turn off 
uh, the body cam or any cameras during the middle of, it, of an investigation. That does nothing but erode trust. We've got to ensure that people have the entire story. And uh, that it's so important that we establish systemic accountability. Gentlemen, I want to thank both of you for being with us today. We had so much to go through. We could have gone a lot longer and a lot of other questions, but we really appreciate you both being here and both of you giving your viewpoints. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for thank having you, us. Thank you, and thank you, Detective Frazier. The next round of elections in North Texas is coming up on May 1st, and there are city council and school board races on the ballot across the area. 23 candidates are on the ballot in a special election in Texas's 6th Congressional District to fill the seat of Ron Wright, who died earlier this year. Several cities will also get a new mayor, including Arlington, Plano, and Fort Worth. Fort Worth Mayor Betsy Price announced in January that she would not seek a sixth term, and 10 candidates are vying to fill her seat. City Council members Brian Byrd and Ann Zeta, Daniel Caldwell, Myel George, Mike Haynes, Cedric Kenyinda, Betsy Price's former Chief of Staff Maddie Parker, Steve Pennant, Tarrant County Democratic Party Chair Deborah Peoples, and Chris Rector. NBC5's Scott Gordon covers Tarrant County. Here he is with Julian Gromer. Scott, no one knows Fort Worth like you. There are a lot of candidates in the race to replace longtime Mayor Betsy Price. How are the candidates positioning themselves to make that expected runoff? Well, it's really tough to differentiate yourself when there are 10 candidates running. That's got to be a record, at least it is in modern uh, Fort Worth City history. 10 candidates running. Really, four of them, though, are getting the most attention. There's Deborah Peoples. She's run for Fort Worth mayor twice before. Uh, there's Maddie Parker, Mayor Price's uh, former chief of staff, a lawyer, uh, who is running for public office for the first time. Uh, she's endorsed, by the way, by Mayor Price uh, and the uh, powerful police association. Uh, there's also two incumbent city council members, Brian Bird, uh, a medical doctor who represents uh, Southwest Fort Worth. Uh, he's running, has a lot of big money behind him. Uh, also, Ann Zeta, an incumbent city council member who represents parts of South Fort Worth. And as you mentioned, Julie, uh, there's almost certainly going to be a runoff because uh, none of these candidates is going to hit that 50% mark. So the uh, city election is uh, May 1st. Uh, the top two vote getters uh, will go to a runoff on June 5th. Uh, and early voting, by the way, I should mention, starts uh, tomorrow on Monday. So a lot going on and expect to hear a lot more about the Fort Worth mayor's race, especially when it narrows down to the final two candidates in the month of May. Scott, the voters have their hands full, as you just pointed out. What are the issues you think the candidates really need to, to focus on to connect with those voters who will be making the important decision? There's a number of issues, Gromer, that have been coming up uh, in some of these uh, candidate forums that they've been holding. Uh, city growth seems to be uh, one of the big issues. Uh, you know, Fort Worth has basically doubled in size over the last few decades, and the infrastructure hasn't really uh, kept up with some of that growth. We've seen uh, entire subdivisions going in without the roads leading into or out of those neighborhoods, uh, things like that. There's the ongoing issue uh, of police reforms that a lot of uh, big cities are dealing with uh, across the country. Uh, those are some of the biggest issues also in Fort 
Fort Worth, a unique issue that we have is Panther Island. How is that massive project uh, ever going to be finished now that it appears the federal government has pulled out of uh, its part of the funding? So we have uh, three new bridges built for part of the Panther Island project. Uh, local taxpayers paid for that. But now that uh, the federal government, uh, at least over the last few years, hasn't funded anything, uh, how are they going to finish that project and uh, have those bridges uh, matter? The, the, right now they're, they're spanning over dry land and there's no plan to reroute the river uh, like was the original intent. How important, Scott, is name recognition in such a crowded field? It's all about name recognition, Julie, with so many candidates running. Uh, there, I think Deborah Peoples might have the slight advantage because she's the only one of all the candidates who've actually run for citywide office before, run for mayor twice before uh, against Mayor Price. So she's built up a lot of name recognition. But uh, you've also got to say that uh, Ann Zeta and Brian Bird, as incumbent city council members, uh, also have some recognition. So uh, it'll be uh, between those three, I think, for having the most name recognition, and it will count for a lot in this election. And the biggest challenge, you somewhat touched on that, but the biggest challenge facing the incoming mayor? Well, I think one of the challenges will be working with a new generation of city leaders. Whoever the new mayor is, uh, there's going to be a new city council, largely a new city council to go with it. Uh, in Fort Worth, uh, we've been pretty stable uh, over the last five or ten years, uh, with uh, one or two exceptions. We've had the same uh, group of city leaders uh, in place. Uh, but now with uh, Ann Zeta and Brian Bird giving up their council seats to run for mayor, you've got Dennis, Dennis Shingleton, uh, incumbent council member, who's not running for re-election. You've got three positions right there. Uh, it's going to be a brand new group of uh, city leaders in charge running the show in Fort Worth. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. It was good to get to see you today. Good to see you guys. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, Grimmer. The general election is May 1st. We'll have election resources available at NBCDFW.com. Last week, the FDA and CDC advised states to pause administration of the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. The decision came after rare but serious blood clots formed in six women who received the shot. About 7 million doses of the vaccine have been given nationwide. To discuss the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and other issues surrounding COVID-19, here's the president of the Dallas County Medical Society, Dr. Beth Kasanoff-Piper, with Julian Gromer. Dr. Beth Kasanoff-Piper, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Let's start with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. You know, it's been paused right now. What should people think if that's the vaccine they've had? So if they had their vaccine more than three weeks ago, then we really think they're outside the window of any risk at all. If it's been less than three weeks ago, then still they're very likely to not have any problems at all, but we do want them to be alert for any severe symptoms, headaches, chest pain, abdominal pain, leg pain, shortness of breath, blurred vision, any of those types of symptoms really any time within the first couple of weeks after the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And if that happens, they should talk to their doctor right away because there's some specific testing that should be done and it needs to be handled in a specific manner. Doctor, this, is, this Johnson & Johnson situation was a kind of a one in a million thing, but the CDC out of an abundance of caution took the step to pause it However, I'm sure that there's a concern uh, about the public relations fallout and, and people not trusting vaccines. So I, how do you get people to the point where they really feel like, okay, this is the right thing to do. And, and for the most of us, it, it will be a, a safe thing to do. 
So we do have concerns. We don't want this to affect people's desire to get the vaccine. We already see some hesitancy and we certainly don't want anything to make that worse. One thing we need to recognize with this situation is that really the, the safety protocols that the CDC and the FDA have in place, that's the reason this is paused. That's the reason we know that these cases happened. And this is a sign to me and to other doctors that the CDC and the FDA really are being very cautious in terms of what's available for people to get. The overall number of people who get these reactions to the vaccine are very low, um, but they are high, at a higher rate than we would see naturally just in the baseline rate for the population. So I, I think of this as, you know, it's a, it's a little kind of a pat on the back to the people who are studying these things to recognize this quickly and to be paying attention and doing more investigation. Can we talk a little bit about this week, there's discussion that a booster shot may be needed for the Pfizer vaccine. I mean, do you envision there will be a booster shot needed for all of the vaccines? And I'm hearing six to 12 months. So does that mean, you know, if you got your vaccine in February, you're going through this again and, you know, you've got to get in line again in August or September? I do suspect that we probably will be looking at boosters for any of the vaccines, not just Pfizer. Um, for one thing, they may need to adjust the vaccine a bit to account for some of the variants, but also if there seems to be a little bit of a decline in the vaccination's efficacy over time, this is a good way to boost that. I, you know, I'm not involved, of course, with any of those studies, but I would expect that this may become a, a, a routine booster, maybe not every year, but maybe. I don't think we're going to need it as early as six months. So I think we've got more time than that, um, where the vaccine is still going to be very effective. Kind of like flu vaccines, right? In a way. Yeah, I envision, you know, maybe once a year that we will need to get a booster. And, you know, we'll have this so well organized, it will be much easier than the initial vaccine rollout. And the vaccine will be available in doctor's offices and pharmacies. I think this will become a matter of routine. So you think not when you have to get the booster, it's not going to be online for hours hoping that you can get, you know, an appointment? Do you think it'll be much easier to access? I think it will be. I think it will be much easier to access when the time comes that we need booster shots. Doctor, what's your advice uh, to folks who have been uh, vaccinated and want to know, okay, what can I do? Can I go out there and, 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 and treat it like I like I did in, a year ago? What, what's your right. advice to those folks? So people who are vaccinated, and that means people two weeks past their second shot, uh, those people are considered fully vaccinated. And, you know, they can get together with other people who are also fully vaccinated. Um, they, the CDC says it's safe to get together with people who are not vaccinated from a single household. So that doesn't mean go to a big party where there's a lot of people who aren't vaccinated. And we still wanna use all the precautions when we're out at the grocery store or other places, wear the masks, keep the socially distance thing going. Um, but I, I do think that, that we can relax a little bit when we're fully vaccinated. We can probably travel a little bit. Um, and feel a little bit safer about that. So I think it does open the door to uh, a little bit more like what normal life is. So if I'm vaccinated and Julie is vaccinated, 
I can give her a hug. Is that okay? That's right. That's right. That would be fine. Uh, that will be great because yeah. <laughs> I'm a hugger and we, you know, I'm a hugger and Gromer and I, besides doing this show together, we're really close friends. So it's been, you know, it's been, we're totally willing to do it. It, but it's hard. Like we don't sit next to each other anymore on the show and we're in different spots. And so that's good news, Cromer. Oh, yeah. Doctor, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks come for having me. Come back and talk with us. And when it's safe, please come in and see us. Sounds yeah, great. Thank and, and you. Doctor, it seems like it's been a year, but it's, it seems like there's a lot to be positive about. There is. There's a lot to be positive about. We know how to treat this better than we did before. We have options for monoclonal antibody therapy for people that get COVID. Uh, we know better what to do if people end up in the hospital. And with the vaccines, we know that people are not likely at all to end up in the hospital. We will, this, this will probably turn into a much milder disease that's not nearly as scary once we have enough people vaccinated. Thanks to State Representative Carl Sherman, Frederick Frazier, Scott Gordon, and Dr. Beth Kasanoff-Piper for joining the show this week. Before we go, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Lone Star Politics Podcast wherever you get your audio content. Stay up to date with everything related to Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.